Here's a price for Friday, September 1st, 2023. We're coming to you from the GoGoat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. If you're visiting Vancouver and need to stay by the airport, we suggest the Weston Wall Center. YVR gets some rest relaxation in those plush heavenly beds. Matt Sikaris alongside Jeff Patterson sitting in for Blake Price. Tim Asfar hitting switches, conducting things in place of a vacation in Grady Sass. And this show, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey, Applewood Nissan Richmond. Get you in the 23 cash guy from $76 weekly, the 23 Murano from $135 weekly, and the 23 Armada, the Midnight Edition. From eight ninety five monthly because Jeff Patterson, it's all good at Applewood. Indeed, it is. Bodog poll question today: Can Tanner Pearson help the Canucks? That simple. Yes or no? Vote at Sikerson Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source: free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog line of the day for me: Labor Day Classics in the Canadian Football League, and I almost feel like you can throw out the records on this weekend. A parlay: Calgary and Hamilton, the two home teams. In the battles of Alberta and Ontario, where a hundred dollars could win you four seventy-seven on your Bodog line of the day. Had a marvelous evening last night at the Vancouver Canadians Nat Bailey Stadium, the uh, picnic area down the right field line, double header there as well. So thank you to everybody who stopped on by and said hello, Jeff. We're talking Tanner Pearson today because video Tanner Pearson <laughs> skating. Playing hockey again. It's great to see. He's been through a lot. He has. And he took part as one of the Canucks in Troy Stetcher's pro camp out in Richmond this week. Uh, that was a fundraiser for diabetes. And, of course, Troy lost his father um, to diabetes, a few or complications from diabetes a few years back. So was looking to do something. Rounded up a lot of the guys that train here and some of the Canucks that are back in town. And yeah, some video surfaced. I saw a couple of different clips of Tanner Pearson as a full participant. And that's just a really encouraging sign for Tanner Pearson, the, the person and the hockey player, that if there were any concerns about his hand, that I don't think he would be able to you know, dig down and suit up and be a part of a camp like this with other NHLers. And uh, the other part of the equation, Matt, is I've been told that he's been playing golf here locally as well. Ah. Good. Now, an NHLer playing golf in the offseason, <laughs> that is not a newsflash. But a guy who had a career-threatening hand injury right, and has not played in the National Hockey League since November, for him to be teeing it up mm-hmm. with a golf club in his hand and being able to swing away, again, these are all just sort of building blocks to the argument that Tanner Pearson's coming to camp to yep. try to reclaim his spot as a regular in the Vancouver Canuck lineup. And I think... You know, we heard from Patrick Alvine through the summer months that there had been some encouraging news and that the mm-hmm. Canucks felt like this guy might be progressing to the point. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that news that he's taken part and, you know, was a regular participant in this camp leads me now, having seen a little bit of this video, that I think we have to think of him as a player rather yes. than a, a, an LTIR candidate for the Vancouver Canucks. So it may complicate matters for the Canucks on the salary side of things because, again, Uh, They've got to get cap compliant, and I think there were some that thought, oh, well, Poolman and Pearson add that up. There's your easy way out of cap jail, but Tanner Pearson, final year of his contract, this guy wants to play beyond this year, I'm sure. So, you know, if he can get the green light and the clean bill of health, you get a pretty motivated Tanner Pearson, I would think. 14 games last year, a goal and five points in 13 and a half minutes. Or the injury. Yeah, And then the injury happened. Well, he was minus nine in 14 games, which is, gosh, I mean, that's hard to do. Of course, the Canucks were absolutely wretched defensively at even strength in the early going there last year. So so let me ask you this question then. Where does he fit in the lineup? Like, do you just ease him in on the fourth line? I mean, there's a couple of things to take into account here. Rick Tockett loves his board battle wall guys. Mm -hmm. That is Tanner Pearson when he's on his game. Right. Now, skating at Troy Stetcher's camp in late August, one thing. An NHL training camp and preseason action for a guy that hasn't played since November. Let alone a regular season game. They're still proving to be done here. Oh, for sure. But uh, all of this is tracking to him at least being able to participate in camp, which in and of itself is a good news story. Right. 
but he's still got to make this hockey club. Final year of a contract, $3.25 bucks, four and a quarter in real salary. Mm. This was signed in the COVID era where they tried to back end, and so he's actually making more money mm-hmm. than his cap hit this year. So, you know, on the surface, board battle, and this isn't a team that has a ton of size up front, and when he's on, Tanner Pearson can still be effective in that role. I think back to the bubble playoffs, played that to a T. Mm-hmm. But speed has never been his strong suit, never been his calling card. This is a league that gets faster year over year. They already have this glut of wingers that we have questions about, and now you add him to the list as well. Mm-hmm. Teammates love the guy. I think coaches appreciate the fact he's a true pro, low maintenance, shows up, he works hard. But where does he fit into this roster? Is It's a great question, and I'm not sure that, that I've got the answer. I voted yes on the poll question. I voted yes because I think there's an experience and a guile there with the player. As you mentioned, Tockett likes his wall his uh, wall warriors, and I think Pearson is that. The other thing we talked about a couple of weeks back was just they don't have a whole lot of size up right. front. He would be one of three 200-pound forwards in the lineup alongside Miller and Besser. Everybody else is short of 200 or shy of 200 pounds. So no. I've I voted I voted yes. I still don't know where he fits. I could absolutely see, especially in the early going, easing him in on the fourth line. Where were you on the poll? Were you yes or no? I I, I was a yes Mm -hmm. because I think the wild card in all of this is if he can make the full recovery and if he can get back to, he had 21 goals in 69 games before that season was shut down when COVID first arrived on the scene. Like he Mm -hmm. was having a heck of a year there. Like he was going to push 25 goals. Yep. Long I think way that's from a, now. I understand yeah. that. But if he can be back and effective on an expiring contract, could they then turn a guy with championship pedigree and a Stanley Cup ring? Mm-hmm. You know, could he be an asset that they could play closer to that? Now we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yep. Again, there's a ton of ground that has to be covered in all of this. Uh, a little bit of a wild card, though, too, in the mix here, Matt, is the fact that remember when he was acquired by the Pittsburgh Penguins. He didn't impress there. No. And it was this management group. Correct. And they turned around and they talked it was an assistant. Yeah. yeah. So here's the, uh, I was stunned by this. He just turned 31. Yeah. Three weeks ago. God, he's been around so long, but of course made the NHL the young age and was a first round pick and an overager too. It was his second draft when he was selected 30th overall at the time was the last, uh, pick in the first round. Anyway, it's going to be interesting to see, but I think you hit it, Jeff, when you talked about, I think we now have to look at Pearson as a roster and lineup candidate more so than an LTIR candidate. And so just the business of hockey, that does complicate matters for a team that's Mm -hmm. already over the salary cap. Now, we did hear this week from Dan Milstein that Ilya Mikheyev still needs to see some doctors here may not be quite ready to go for the start of the season. Not Milstein's words, mine, but Dan talked about how I'm trying to convince him it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you wonder what happens with that ticket at 4.75. And of course, there's also the possibility you submit a opening night roster that is fewer than 23 players in order to be cap compliant. I do wonder with Pearson and the fact that he hasn't played since November, like might he have to start in the American Hockey League? Just to get him some run. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, n- maybe not the worst idea either. Now, I want to take you back one year ago, Jeff. Maybe not the exact date. But the weekend. The Friday going into Labor Day, when late in the afternoon. Remember it well. We learned of JT Miller's rich contract extension, an $8 million seven-year deal that will take the player well into his 30s that is now triggered that became the new deal on july 1st it involves a no move clause in the early going here we haven't talked a ton about him this summer but now jt miller i think is under the spotlight playing for even more money than he was in the past he was on what turned out to be a very good deal for the vancouver canucks uh cap wise 
Now he now this season starts and the pressure to be an $8 million player is at the forefront. How do you think he'll manage that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think he's going to tell you that nothing will change, that he's been making a lot of money as a hockey player. This is just even more money now. But hockey players in this day and age are attached to the number they carry. And so with that, uh, the stakes go up. And I do think that there is uh, pressure, whether he wants to admit that he's going to feel it or not. You know, he also turned 30 in this calendar year. And you know, I don't know if JT's the kind of guy that would sit back and you know, on his 30th birthday, sort of take stock of where he is. But ultimately, he's a competitor. I have to assume that he wants to win a Stanley Cup. And like it or not, he's if he plays out this contract here, I mean, there's seven cracks at winning the Cup. Yep. Can the Canucks cover enough ground with him yeah. as a part of it to be a true Stanley Cup contender? Time's going to tell on that one. But, you know, I, look... I don't fear the early years of the contract. He's a terrific player and has been ever since he touched ground here in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. uh, and I really expect, turned his career around. And He's talked that, about it, yeah, you know, that it was that. a wake up call, that second trade from New York to Tampa and then Tampa to Vancouver, where he knew he had to change some things about his game, uh, about his work ethic. And he's done so to the point where he's one of the few Canucks in history who's a point per game player. I think he's second to Pavel and, Points per mm -hmm. game. No, it's pretty, incredible. Pretty good company to keep. And I, I think you saw an uptick in his game under Rick Tockett. I mean, Tockett played a hard-nosed, hard-edged game. I think, you know, he can respect JT Miller, and I think JT Miller certainly should and, and does have respect for Rick Tockett. We know in the early going last year, it was a little too loose under Bruce Boudreau, mm -hmm. and JT Miller's game suffered. But he did seem to clean up the, you know, no-look passes, the blind passes into the middle, the, you know, high-risk passes with little reward. Um, but there is still questions about how is he going to be utilized. Uh, I think he's a better winger than a setter, but the way that the roster is constructed, he is the second-line setter. And as such, you know, are, are they going to deploy him in a matchup role? Is he up to the challenge? Who's on his wings, you know, to that fill, was out, my question to for fill you. out a sort of checking role? So that's my question to you. Uh, assuming he's going to play center, I don't think there's any doubt about that uh, anymore. Who are you playing with him? Well, on paper, I, I, I'm going Kuzmenko Pedersen, and I think to start the season, Beauvillier, and just pick up where you left off last year, and that probably leaves Brock Besser with JT Miller, and yet both of those guys had disastrous defensive seasons, at least to start mm -hmm. last year. That's where I'd like a healthy Ilya Mikheyev to sort of be the defensive defensive conscience on that line, and I could see that as the Canucks' top six. Now, Connor Garland's going to want to come to camp and probably thinks that uh, he deserves a shot, or no? <laughs> no. <laughs> you think Garland's settled in his own mind as a third-line no, guy? No, I think Garland obviously wants upward mobility, and I think there's a potential for Connor Garland upward mobility. But we talked about this when Pius Suter signed. Connor Garland has not worked chemistry-wise with anyone. He's a unique player. He's no a doubt. unique, unorthodox player. Jeff, you were early on this when he first got to town, and we realized just how unconventionally he plays. He zigs when others zags. Suter's a pretty heady player by all accounts. So I think Pia Suter is your best bet to unlock Connor Garland. And he would have to do something special, I think, to be in the top six group, presuming all the wingers, including Ilya McCaff, are healthy. And it's funny because one of the issues that Rick Tockett and the coaching staff faces is that you would like Miller to play with a defensive winger like Mikheyev, as you suggested. Brock almost has to play with the defensive winger on the other side to compensate for his lack of speed, to compensate for the defensive awareness, plus a guy on the other side who can actually do some things offensively. So I like in theory, the notion of a line with McKayev and Besser on the wings, whether that's between Pedersen or whether that's between Miller, but I also love the idea of McKayev speed on the Pedersen line. So a healthy Ilya McKayev and where he slots in the top six, I think is one of the big questions at this Canucks training camp. Because then you've got Pud Colson and Hoaglander, but 
you know, Hoaglander didn't ever play for Rick Tockett last year. Pod Colson came back up, but didn't do much down the stretch. They need one of those guys. Oh, absolutely need one of those two guys to be a contributor Mm -hmm. to this hockey club. But I don't know, just based on their last year, it's hard for me to pencil either one of them into a top six role. Oh, no way. No way. Off the bat. No way. I mean, they'd have to come in and have the camp of all camps, the preseason of all preseason. And yet Hoaglander did that as a rookie, as a 20-year-old, and earned that spot and was terrific with Horvat and Pearson in that COVID Albeit in a thinner pool of wingers, Jeff. They did not have the depth, the quality, or the quantity of wingers when Hoaglander pulled that trick a couple of years back. BC Lions in Montreal tomorrow to face the Alouettes. Uh, Saw Matt Baker last night at our event. He was telling us, first time in like eight years where the Leos have played a Labor Day game. Uh, typically you've got an Ottawa Montreal rivalry that they were trying to nurture alongside the battles of Ontario, Alberta, and of course the prairies. Uh, alas, this year it's BC in La Belle Provence. We do have the roster for tomorrow as predicted. Edwards Cooper did not make it at cornerback. He didn't practice all week. So Mike Jones is in a former Alouette. They've brought Nick Usher, a defensive end who's got CFL experience up onto the roster in place of an, Amer- an American linebacker i they've got some guys ailing on the defensive line so they got some depth there now but the bigger matter was with the receiving core which is so stocked with talent and yet so besieged by injuries this year keon hatcher and alexander hollins were limited at practice yesterday hatcher got hurt in like the penultimate drill now, the good news is he's on the ro- roster. He's going to Montreal, but he may be playing so- through something. Hollins was always going to play, but he seems nicked a little as well. They've had such good results in the passing game and with this receiving core and have been able to overcome injuries to Lucky Whitehead and injuries to Dominic Rimes, who's going to miss this game. He'll take the bye, and then he'll come back. But this could be the first big test of the receiving group. And can they hold up? after what's been a, uh, a difficult week of practice for a couple of the key guys there. Yeah, and a Vernon, uh, Vernon Adams going back to Montreal, you'd like to think, would be motivated. Uh, I mean, he should be motivated just because uh, the team's lost two in a row. Uh, you just don't want to allow Saskatchewan to creep any closer here. So uh, I'm looking for a bounce back from the BC Lions. Well, it's not going to be easy. I mean, they're seven and four, Montreal six and four. So right. I know I think people maybe think, oh, the East, whatever, it's a cakewalk, but I mean, on record, Montreal is basically uh, right there with the BC Lions now. And even when they were winning games handily, I'll pick up the Calgary game here at home. uh, And early in the season, the first couple of games, there would be a few decisions per game from the quarterback that just left you scratching your head. Calgary game, there was a series where they're up big. Now, it's early enough in the game that the Stampeders can come back. They're in the red zone. Vernon tries to fit a ball on an out into double coverage. It should have been picked off. And then he comes back the next down and throws it directly to a Calgary Stampeder. These sorts of decisions are the reason why people to date have not been 100% sold on Vernon Adams. I've heard the phrase, just good enough to get you beat. On his best days, Vernon Adams is a world beater in this league. He's a dual threat guy, a big play guy, as per the nickname. But on his worst days or on his average days, there are going to be times in the football game where he is just not as careful with the ball and just not precise enough in the decision-making to be entirely trusted. And so I'll be watching Adams tomorrow, Jeff. How are you going to take care of the ball, young man? Because I know you're probably going to want to put on a show for the Alouettes, the team that lets you go. But what's more important is efficiency at the quarterback position and not beating yourselves tomorrow in front of what I'm sure will be a fun crowd. Well, and I gave him the benefit of the doubt last week, thinking, okay, slow start. They're the Lions. They're the better team. Eventually, they're going to get this thing figured out and get it moving, and it just never happened for them. Oh, no. And it was the more it was the most puzzling game and effort, I think, of the last two years for the BC line. So we'll see how they bounce back. What I love about it is with the caps in New York city tomorrow, you can 
watch the soccer match, take a little lunch break, feeds directly <laughs> into the football game. Caps in New York City to face NYCFC. That's a 12.30 start. And they got some nice news today for a couple of players. Andres Kubas and Sergio Cordova have been called up to their national teams. Kubas with Paraguay, Cordova with Venezuela for 2026 World Cup qualifiers. And I saw that J.J. Adams wrote in the province coming out of the win Wednesday in Chicago that Vanny Sertini doesn't yet want to be on record in terms of what it will take to make the playoffs. He wants to get through a couple more games. And Vanny's been very good about this, dissecting the schedule and sort of giving everybody a target in terms of what they have to do down the stretch the last couple of years. So he wants to wait a couple more games. This one, TFC is up after, after that for the Caps. So they'll be more than halfway through this epic roadie, seven straight road games. Put myself in ease nose for the schedule. Uh, Seahawks, Jamal Adams declared out for the season opener a week from Sunday against the LA Rams. Is that looming? A lot of talk about <laughs> a lot of talk about Adams this year effectively playing as a linebacker. And that's really what they acquired a few years ago. Boy, I, I keep going back to the Jimmy Graham trade and the Jamal Adams trade. And if the Seahawks were just able to <laughs> Push pause on those deals, not bite where they would be right now. Anyways, Adam's going to miss the out opener. Devon Witherspoon, the fifth overall pick, the cornerback from Illinois, is doubtful. He's got a hamstring injury. So the Seahawks playing with a couple, likely to play with a couple of back seven guys missing in their opener against the Rams. Are you bullish on the Hawks this year, Jeff? Or Geno uh, Smith, you want to be convinced more? Yeah, like, Do I think they can be a 10-win team? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Um, more than that, like I, I don't have great hopes that they are going to uh, contend for anything mm-hmm. this time around. But, but I, I playoff think, team, I think they. Yeah, I think they can certainly win more than they yeah. lose, and and yeah, push uh, for a playoff spot. What a disappointing result for Ugh. Canada today at the FIBA World Cup in Asia. We were talking about an absolute juggernaut through the first three games. Great victories, blowout victories, and they lay an egg in the second round. Their first game in the second round, 69-65, they lose to Brazil. Bruno Caboclo, the former Raptor, getting his revenge here on the country where he was drafted. You may remember he was two years away from being two years away. Well, we're eight years hence. Well, he arrived today. And he sure did with 13 points, a game high. Sorry, 19 points, a game high, 13 rebounds. And now it's a must-win game Sunday, 6 a.m. tip against Spain, world number one, albeit a team that hasn't looked great in this tournament and has much of that number one ranking in its past, more so than recent form. Well, Matt, the, the, this, the final score today is what it is, but it doesn't really tell the story of how this game unfolded. Canada got off to a brutal start, but they led by 10 at the half and were up by seven after three quarters. Nice. They got outscored 24-13 in the fourth quarter. <laughs> Shot 35% from the floor, 25% from three-point range, and... You look at the fact they score 65 points on the day. Mm-hmm. Gillis, Alexander, and Lou Dort combined for 40 yes. of those 65 points. R.J. Barrett, second on the team in court time, had four points. Jordy Fernandez, head coach of Canada, says defensively, we were fine. When a team shoots 40% from the field and 19% from three, you should have a chance. But offensively, we were not willing to do anything for each other. Space the floor, move the ball move the bodies. When you play like that, it's really hard to win. Today was an example. We had 10 assists to nine turnovers, shot 33% from the field, 27% from three. We did not deserve to win. So tough luck from the Spanish coach of Canada who should have some insight against his country on But we talk about the best depth we've ever had. 
And it's supposed to be one of the calling cards and one of the advantages. Like, R.J. Barrett, four points. Dwight Powell, five points. Dylan Brooks had two points in this game. So, And offense had not been an issue, uh, either in the pre-tournament games or in the tournament games. So a head-scratcher here from Canada and Jordy Fernandez, and now winner-go-home stakes Sunday morning against Spain at the FIBA World Cup. I don't know about you, Jeff. But September 1st comes around, and part of my mind turns to baseball pennant chases. or We used to call them pennant chases, now playoff races, I guess. Blue Jays in Denver to face the Rockies. Seattle and New York to face the Mets. Not exact, these interleague series right. don't exactly like scream. Like an inconvenience, sort well, of. And especially against two wretched teams like yeah. the Mets. The Mets and the Rockies. Now, the Astros get to fatten up on those damn Yankees who have called up a couple of their top prospects. They're already playing for next year. And the Texas Rangers are home to the Minnesota Twins, and that is a series with playoff implications on both sides. Like, interleague weekends were a big deal in the middle of the summer. That's right. Or, you know, a nice distraction, kind of. It does mm-hmm. seem strange, the it's- timing here into September. Well, one of the problems they have, of course, 15 and 15. So there's always going to be an interleague series going on. So yeah, a rare look at Coors Field for the Blue Jays down in Denver and an even rarer look for City Field and the New York Mets for the Seattle Mariners here this weekend to start the September stretch drive. And uh, the Vancouver Canadians are losing a little interest here, I think, in the regular season. They lost both ends of a doubleheader to Hillsborough yesterday. Uh, Stage was set for another dramatic walk-off cardiac Canadians win in the ninth of the second game. Alaska Doughty couldn't get it done. He had a home run earlier in the game. The final nooner of the season goes today. And folks, you're going to hear a lot about this here coming up over the next two weeks. The Canadians' playoff tickets are on sale. We've known for months now that they're going to host the Northwest League final or be the the team with the most home games. It's a best-of-five championship series. The Canadians chose to take games three, four, and five at home at Nat Bailey. So they'll play the first two on the road against whomever their opponent would be, and then they're guaranteed that game three, which could be the clincher, on September 15th. And then September 16th, September 17th, if necessary. But if you want to go to the Northwest League final, I was talking to Andy Dunn last week. There are still tickets. They are being bought up. Get the to CanadiansBaseball.com and get on out and support the season. Of course, this is the last weekend of home games in the regular season for Vancouver. They finish with a road trip, a road trip next week before coming back for the championship series. Let's get to today's menu. Hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, where we salute a couple of marathon men. Mm -hmm. We'll talk to John Shannon, our Friday regular, of course, from the Bob McCown podcast and the former executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada. We talk about the Rick Tockett effect this year, the power play and how they're going to coach it up. Captain season leadership groups across the National Hockey League as well. I thought this was interesting, Jeff. We'll just preview this. John said he's talked to about 10 or 11 teams in the last week, and many of them say, hey, we're settled. We're not looking to make any moves in advance of training camp or preseason or the regular season. And this is something we've speculated about because of all the free agents that are still out there and then all of the names that have been in the trade rumor mill that have not yet gone. And of course, some of them are Winnipeg. Some of them are in Calgary. But if there's a third of the league that's already set in its own mind, that makes it difficult for the teams that are over the cap and have to get cap compliant. If they, you know, think that they can uh, find a dance partner to perhaps shed some salary. And of course it's Friday. So another edition of S versus P the P being Patterson this week, who speaking of juggernauts, you're like Canada at the FIBA world cup. I'm hoping. Uh, I'm hoping hope, to hope be. Bra- yeah, I'm hoping in the version. preliminary <laughs> round. I'm hoping to be Brazil today. Knock off the giant. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, they've made the car business 
and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at Applewood.ca. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Workshop Spirits, and very excited to announce the release of Yellow Dog's very first mix pack, Box of Tricks. Choose between the classic Play Dead IPA, the award-winning Rough West Coast IPA, and two brand new beers, Growl Extra Pale Ale and Tug of War New Zealand IPA, hitting the shelves on Tuesday, November 7th. And at the end of a busy workday, treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. Harrison Price from Wall Center, presentation of Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Kia. We invite you to check out the 2023 Nero EV. This is the electric vehicle from Kia. Finance 6.49% up to 84 months and get you in there for less than $45,000. $44,995 because, as they say, it's all good. At Applewood, Bodog poll question today, can Tanner Pearson help the Canucks? Great to see him skating again. Now, can he perform back at an NHL level? Yes or no, you can vote at Securison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds, and Bodog line of the day for me. I'm going to ride this Caps train while it's going. They're plus 260 to win in New York City tomorrow, shooting for three in a row on your Bodog line of the day. Here he is, former executive producer, Hockey Night in Canada, co-host of the Bob McCowan podcast. Mr. John Shannon, back with back with Sakarison Price. How you doing, John? I'm great, boys. You? Yeah, fantastic. Doing well. We're off to Penticton in a couple oh, weeks for the Young Stars tournament. Know. So getting back to I know. <laughs> That's my. I, I know. I, I love it's that a great tournament. junket. I love that tournament. I, yep. I really do. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm so glad that uh, all four teams had the wit and wisdom to bring it back and and do something special for for that part of the the world, particularly now after what's gone on the last month uh, up in the Valley. But that, that, you know, I, I, first time I saw Bo Horvat as a Canuck, first time I saw Johnny Goudreau as a flame, first time I saw Connor McDavid as an oiler, all in Penticton. And they were fantastic stories at that time and uh, continue to be great stories in the NHL. And I was thinking about it. The tournament, Jeff, I think is perhaps most noted for what just John talked about, and particularly McDavid and some of the Oilers' first overalls. And then you look at the guys from Winnipeg who have played through that tournament in in this tournament because they've been such a great draft sure. and develop organization, John. That a lot of their guys who uh, you know have gone on to be terrific Jets. Well, and and Nick Nick Ehlers would be at the top of my list that I saw in Penticton. I mean, I remember him from his days in Halifax with the Mooseheads, but but he was one of those guys that you know you always wondered if his size was going to be a factor in the NHL and. That moment he was on the ice in Penticton, you said, nope, this guy is going to be a star. And they made a great draft pick that year uh, in getting Ehlers. And he made his first Im- he made his first impact in Penticton. It, it, it truly is one of those, if you're a hockey-crazed guy and want to go spend a little bit of time in a great part of the world, you know, go to Penticton and watch three or four days of the tournament and drink some wine and play some golf and have some fun. And I got to hand it to the Oilers fans in Northern Alberta, Jeff, as you well know, there is a lot of blue and orange in Penticton on that weekend. They well, travel well. Al- and Alberta they... thinks it owns the Okanagan, right? I, <laughs> I think. I think that's how that works. Especially on the August long weekend. <laughs> so here's, here's, here's an interesting story. I mean, not to hijack what we were going to talk about, but so when I was running hockey night, uh, one of the great jobs that I had was I could decide distribution. I could decide which game went in which, which parts of the country. Um, and there was this one playoff round that I decided that the, in, in British Columbia, that I think there'd be more interest uh, in either Montreal or Toronto than there would be Edmonton. Uh, and I got absolutely lambasted after one night with oiler fans living in penticton Kelowna, vernon pe- you know f- people living in the fraser valley saying we moved from we moved from edmonton we're albertans we want to watch the oilers so we changed our distribution for the next game but i've never forgotten that how many albertans actually do migrate to british columbia and then s- maintain their ties to their favorite hockey clubs yeah yeah my uh 
my late father-in-law used to warn us on the August long weekend. He'd say, Matthew, you just be careful when you're out on the water there at Scott. They aren't boat people like we are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Marvelous stuff. Let's move on. Hey, uh, John, Rick Tockett did a big interview this week with Ian McIntyre, sportsman. hit a lot of topics. Just generally thinking, what do you think the Tockett effect will be with a full training camp and a full season? Uh, to coach this club? Uh, Off the top of my head, I would just say that uh, there will be a lot more structure to what the Canucks have a year ago under Bruce. uh, And what Bruce instilled was not what that structure would be, particularly in the defensive zone. Um, You know, it's it's funny. I I ended up talking to a a couple of people uh, around the organization when I was in BC a month ago. And I would tell you half the people enjoyed working and playing for Bruce. Um, and, and they reveled in the freedom that they had on the ice. Um, and I suspect there won't be that freedom on the ice with Rick Tockett's system uh, than there than there was under Boudreaux. So I, I guess to me, the, the number one difference that people will find is structure and particularly structure in the defensive zone. It's funny because we saw a little bit of it last year when Taka came in and brought in Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar. Mm. And I guess it just speaks to the world we live in. But there's been a lot of talk this week about this power play by committee, John, and the fact that Jason King is out as the assistant coach that had the power play in his portfolio. And Taka says, you know, he'll have a fair bit of say, but the Sedins obviously know their way around an NHL power play. But the fact that Sergey Gonchar can sort of be a part-time coach but watch every game wherever he is and still you know, cut video clips or have somebody cut the clips that he wants and present them to the players. Uh, I mean, mm. I guess in some, like, work from home and remote work is everywhere, and I guess the NHL as well. Uh, well and I, you beat me to it. I, I, mean, I think when you think of technology now, I, I remember, I don't know if you recall, when John Tortorella was the coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Twice a month, he'd bring Marty San Luis in. And Marty San Louis was brought in to, you know, to work on the power play and work on faceoffs and deal with the centers and the offensive side of the game. And then he'd disappear. And, and it wasn't at a time when you were doing remote clips and having Zoom meetings, but it was at a time when he would be sending in his thoughts. So I, I, I think the game has gone that way. I, I think that it, when you look at what players look at now and how they get instruction anyway, and they're on their iPad, whether it be on the bench or sorry, because they're tablet. We can't say iPad because that's a brand. The <laughs> right. tablet. Because the NHL doesn't get any money from the big red apple. Um, you, you know, so the tablet and then on the on the airplane after the game, Jeff. I mean, yeah. the first thing all those guys do is they go to the tablet and somebody's already clipped every shift that they had in the game. And so they get to look at it. So, so to me, if you want that, uh, the skill that Sergey Gonchar brought, and, and we all know what a great influence he can be. We, the moment he left Pittsburgh's bench, you know, Mike Sullivan had an issue uh, w- with some of the stuff they were trying to do because Sergey didn't have near the influence. So to me, I think it's just a progression of what we're seeing with technology and in day-to-day life. And you know, it's, it's also the downside of Sergey Gonchar wanting to live on the East Coast uh, and be a coach on the West Coast, and yeah. that's a there's a big difference. It's a hard way to travel, and if you don't want to leave your family, then you're not going to be living in Vancouver very often. Talkett also talked about leadership group, John. He said the captaincy is still fluid. Two-part question here. Could you see them moving towards three A's here with Elias not re-signing, that him, Hughes, Miller all get letters, and there is no official captain? And Honestly, you know, these days in the National Hockey League, as much as the C may still be important, leadership group seems to be the thing across the league, more so than just a singular captain. You talk, you talk to every coach, right, Matt? You talk to every coach in this league, and they talk about leadership groups, three, four, five guys that they bring in or they deal with on the charter after the game and say, hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? I, I'm, I'm a real advocate. I'm not sure they need a captaincy anywhere anymore. You know, last year there was, uh, I think the season started with eight teams without a captain. Uh, Might have gone to 
It might have even gone deeper than that. And now that we know that Blake Wheeler's out in Winnipeg, you never, you know, I, I think that they're going to take their time in Winnipeg creating a captaincy as well. But I, I think that the way the world works is there's, there's a captain to deal with what the coaching staff and what management wants. And then there's a leadership group amongst the players. I mean, you guys have both been in the room, heck in Vancouver, been in the room ton times more than I have, but you know who's running the ship. You can see it a mile away and they don't necessarily have to have a captaincy. Hey, for, in Toronto for the longest time, one of the most influential players inside the room was Phil Kessel. And Phil Kessel was never the captain, but Phil Kessel had a tremendous amount of influence. And so I, I think that we're, I think things are morphing to the point where I'm, I'm not sure you need a captain. And really the only question becomes a captain is who you're going to give the trophy to when they get to the hey, third and the fourth then. round, right? Yes. And that's, we can it solve that problem. That's, that's, a, that's a great problem that, to have. Yeah. That photo lives in history. <laughs> that's one where you absolutely do want a guy with a C on his chest. But I don't know if you remember. So, I mean, it, 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 the, you know, the 1970 Boston Bruins, the 1970 Boston Bruins did not have a captain. Johnny Busick was given the cup and skated off with it. He wore an A. I, I've never forgotten that as a kid because they well they don't have a captain who are they going to give it to and you you know you think it would be Orr or you think it'd be Esposito but it wasn't it was it, it was in in Boston was Johnny Busick and and he was never he didn't wear that captain seat particularly that year was Orr too young at the time like was, did he help me out yeah. did he eventually grow into it no he never he never was he never the was the captain oh, in that's Boston. right. No, mm-hmm. he was never the Boston, never the captain in Boston. And I'm not sure Bob would have ever wanted it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know he, he probably wanted to. He, he, there are things that give other people attention. I have enough. Yeah. You mentioned Phil Kessel. It's interesting now that we have moved into September here. I mean, this is the month of hockey. Uh, it's not just Phil Kessel, Zach Parisi and Eric Stahl. And there are a handful of veterans out there. Well, Patrick Kane's helping. Patrick Kane's helping. Thomas Tatar. Uh, there are a number of guys like... Are, are there going to be some signings here before camps or are some of these guys going to have to go uh, the PTO route? I suspect they're going to have to, some of them are going to have to go the PTO route. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a hard way to do it. It's probably a blow to the ego for some of those guys uh, for, for that to happen. Um, but, you know, there's still, you know, if, if you're contemplating, a lot of teams contemplating these types of guys, particularly Tatar is one of the interesting guys for me. I, I always, you know, he's, he brings something to the table uh, and hopefully isn't too expensive. But there are teams that if they want to bring them in, they're going to have to, they got to do some, they got to move some dollars. They got to move some money. So I think as we get closer to the middle of the month, Jeff, I think we're going to A, see teams move dollars and B, then we're going to see some some PTOs and then, and then go from there. Or if you have enough, uh, if, if you think you have enough in the tank and you think this guy can help you, you do sign him to a one-year deal. You hearing anything on Tyler Myers on that score? No, I, I haven't heard a bit. Um, and it's, uh, you almost wonder, I, in talking to about, uh, I've talked to about 10 or 11 teams in the last week. Uh, and most of them tell me that they're settled. They're not doing anything. They're not, they're not going to be adding players or for instance in Edmonton's case they did their two PTOs in Sam Gagne and and Brandon Sutter and that's it and so they're just going to hold their breath until until camp starts and see what happens but I have not heard a thing on Tyler Myers I know you had Bill Armstrong on the pod uh, this week I haven't had a chance to listen yet but uh, you know, I, I look at Arizona and obviously I mean the, the punchline a lot of NHL jokes but you know, Matt Dumba signs there. They get Sean Dursey. Uh, Troy Stetcher's going back there. I mean, that's the right side, essentially, of their defense. They got Logan Cooley to come out of school, Clayton Keller. Uh, I'm just curious, what is the mood from the desert? And is there any chance that that team could make a little, hey, get some traction this year? Well, the question has to be, are they going to play meaningful games in, in uh, February and March? Uh, and you know, the, you know, they they have two goaltenders they really believe in, uh, and and if if their goaltending can keep up, then I think they're going to be a factor in that central division. That it's the if you look at where the central division is right now, I think you have to put Dallas and Colorado as the two elite teams, but the other team's going to be vie for that third spot or even a fourth position in the in the conference. 
you know, or St. Louis, Nashville, and all the stuff that they've done this summer. I think you put Arizona pretty close in that pool of people, you know, and and you know, and and maybe Logan Cooley is the key to it. He was too good to stay in at college hockey, just too good. He wasn't going to learn a darn thing on the ice there. So the fact that they got him signed and he he, he could be a factor, I think, is big. Uh, I do like. Matt Dumba's signing. Bill Armstrong on our show talked about how important it was to get some veteran players to sign that are going to play on these one-year deals, hungry to play, hungry to prove that they aren't uh, over the hill. And Matt Dumba's certainly at the top of that list. Yeah, and uh, we talking a little bit on today's show, Jeff, about closing the gap to the playoff teams. We always forget there might be some who are pushing from below the Vancouver Canucks. John, practice facility came up here again this week. Uh, talk it, we had, I mean, it had almost become a punchline here. Rick talk, talking about everybody who has to have a good summer. But he had hoped that the players would centralize here in August. It turns out it's not going to be until next week. But he said, I'm not mad at him because, you know, we don't have a permanent facility to call our own where the players could right. come and um and skate and go through all the uh, informalities in a centralized easy peasy place how much do you think that's holding back the canucks right now the lack of a practice facility i i think i think when you can put a rink completely dedicated to what your players want when they want it i think that's a huge factor i think it's a huge comfort factor um, and it, it makes it easy for guys to go to work. Um, you know, what are you doing today? I, well, I think I'll go to the rink and you don't have to worry whether they, you know, going to, you know, going to Bernie B eights or whatever they want to call it now can land. Um, you know, it's, it's different because there's probably a concert at Rogers arena and you can't get ice there. And that's, I think it's a huge factor. And I think that, uh, you know, when you look at what has gone on, uh, I think that, and it's funny because I, I think one of the first things when Jimmy showed up was to say, we got to get a practice facility. We have to have one. Yeah. If you looked at what is in Pittsburgh, I don't know if Jeff, if you've been to Cranberry, yes. but if yeah. you have been to the Pittsburgh practice facility, it is out of this world. Uh, and, and there are so many like that around the NHL that are dedicated to your hockey club. And I, to me, I think that's now a fact of life for every NHL team. And I, I think it also becomes a factor in selling free agents. Mm-hmm. In, in wh- how do I work out what's what's available to me anytime I want, you know, 24-7, 365. And that's part of what I think drives players to say why I like playing in certain certain spots. It's something that has to happen. It has to happen in Vancouver, and it should be, a you know, a a, a key, uh, a key for every team in this league. It's funny we had Brian Burke on, and one of the things is with his new job with the women's league, he says one of the biggest aspects that we're dealing with all the players is we need six great practice facilities mm-hmm. for our for the women's league. So if the, if the women's league can get mm-hmm. a practice rink, fair enough. Please, Francesco. Please, Francesco. Make it happen. <laughs> How about for your team? <laughs> Hey, John, great stuff. Um, marvelous summer here as well. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. We will catch up next week. Thank you, boys. Yeah, I might even go to a football game. a boy. Get to the hammer. <laughs> Give my best to Brunt. Yeah. All right. Oski wee wee. Oski wah wah. Cheers. Eat them raw. <laughs> Carson Price from All Center Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags is the best and worst of Twitter. It's brought to you by Jason Hominick. Of Jason Dodd Mortgage, when you contact Jason, we tell you this all the time, you actually contact Jason himself. There's no middleman. There's no staffer answering your email. It's Jason himself with the best advice on mortgages. Get that personal touch from an expert that works for you and not the bank. Find him at Jason.Mortgage. I'm going to start with one from Jason Beck, who is... uh, is he the curator at the BC Sports He is Hall of not Fame? only that, he is the uh, conscience yeah. of at, BC Sports and its history. At Jason Beck 82. September 1st on this day in BC Sports history, 1980. Mm. After running 5,373 kilometers, a marathon a day for 143 straight days, mm. Porter Quitlam's Terry Fox forced to end his marathon of hope outside of Thunder Bay 
after cancer was discovered in his lungs, had raised $1.7 million by that point, and of course, was just mm, getting started. Yeah, several, many, many times over since then. It's a fantastic documentary, too, if you've never checked, in, uh, checked it out, Into the Wind. Uh, Steve Nash, part of the right. production right, right. there, made a ESPN 30 for 30. In fact, I think it was on the original sked of the ESPN 30 so. for 30 docs as well. And a whole new audience of not only younger people here, but Americans got to know the story of Terry Fox. Speaking of marathons, Jeff, at the score, marathon man John Isner fittingly ends his singles career with a five-set loss at the U.S. Open. The big, tall, six foot ten American with the trademark backwards hat has been a fixture on the tennis tour for a couple of decades now. He is, of course, most noted for the longest match in tennis history. Versus Frenchman Nicolas Mahout at 20 twin Wimbledon, a first round match that spanned eleven hours, <laughs> five minutes. They needed three days to complete it. This was back when Wimbledon insisted that you win the fifth set, not in a tiebreaker, but by two games. They split the first two sets. They got to the fifth. Natural light ran out on them. They went back the next day and got to 47-47 <laughs> in the fifth set. That's games, everybody. That is not points. Finally, he got the edge 70 to 68 over the Frenchman and Wimbledon soon thereafter he, decided. He found, <laughs> he, he found a wrinkle in Mahout's game, Matt, that he was able to exploit. <laughs> Nicholas Mahout evaporated on the court. Is that what it was? Um, and soon thereafter, Wimbledon went... You know, we maybe ought to move to the tiebreaker in the fifth well, just set. Just think about scheduling. Like, well, that's like, it. There are matches going on all around these guys, and the organizers are like, when somebody just win. Think of how many matches were scheduled for that court that had to be moved because these guys played over three days. Anyways, happy trails, John Isner. For anyone who remembers the match in 2010 Wimbledon, you will live in tennis lore well beyond any kind of victory. At a Grand Slam. Uh, this one's from Gino Retta's personal account at, GS, at Gino Retta TSN. And it's accompanied by a great photo of a young Gino Retta. 35 years ago today, TSN gave this kid a shot. Thanks to everyone, family, coworkers, athletes, viewers, and friends, who's made this such an incredible journey in an industry that chews people up, spits them out on the regular. We've been part of that. Gino still going strong. At TSN all these years later. Yeah. Um, is he a day oneer? I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I remember uh, marking uh, the anniversaries of TSN over the years. And uh, yes, Gino has been an absolute fixture there. Speaking of fixture, Lewis Hamilton on the F1 grid at Formula One, at Formula Racers. Fernando Alonso on Lewis Hamilton's new contract. If I were a team boss and I had to choose between Hamilton or a promising F2 driver, I'll keep Hamilton until he's 80 years old, <laughs> until someone shows me he's faster than Hamilton. A two-year contract extension for Lewis Hamilton with the Mercedes team, the seven-time world champion, will now race into his 40s if, in fact, he completes the contract. There was some wonder whether he would move to Ferrari. There was some wonder whether Lewis maybe might be done with the sport. Of course, he's Sir Lewis Hamilton in England now. And, um, boy, would love to see him win one more time. The car's not really up to speed right now with the Red Bulls, but would love to see him have a final bow somewhere here along the next two years. He's been that important to the sport. Going to finish up with one from Chris Kamka, who uh, works for the White Sox broadcast in Chicago, but covers baseball uh, MLB-wide uh, as we flip the calendar here to a new month. Last three Dodgers with a 50-hit month, Matt. Jackie Robinson he was gonna be in my May guess. of 1949. Mm -hmm. Willie Davis in August of 1969. 
and Mookie Betts just completed a 50-hit month. He raised his batting average by 40 points in the month of That's August incredible. alone. And so doing something that hasn't been done in over 50 years mm-hmm. as a Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, as a Los Angeles Dodger, uh, Dodgers, by the way, if people haven't been, they had caught fire mm-hmm. uh, in the month of August. They've been on a tear, and Mookie Betts has been a huge part of that. 50 hits is basically two hits a game. Yeah. I works. mean, you're, you're, you're <laughs> playing, yeah. In a groove, as they say. And then lastly for me, you know, there's a school of thought that hockey players are the best athletes because they can do a lot of the things that the other athletes do, do, and they have mastered this very unnatural unnatural act of skating on a quarter-inch blade of steel. Did you see Victor Hedman at Tampa Bay Buccaneers facility I yesterday? I did. Stamkos as well was there. Stamkos was fielding punts, I saw, but I saw Hedman was kicking field goals. He made a 50-yard field goal, Jeff. Yeah. That's impressive. Like, you line up even good athletes at 50 yards and ask them to make a field goal, and many would look really silly trying. Wasn't Gronk's in the Super Bowl commercial? Wasn't that like a 25 or a 30-yarder? Oh, and, you know, I can remember going back, and, of course, there was the one exception on the Wendy's kick for a million. (laughs) But, you know, how when Joe and Joanne Public got out there having to make field goals, just how difficult it was. Now, he did take a bit more of an extended run-up. I'm not sure you'd get that many steps in a, in, a, in a game, but it was still mighty impressive to see the Tampa Bay Lightning defenseman, and I'm sure there's some soccer in the background there, right? Oh, no doubt. In Sweden, making a field goal from 50 yards away. And that's hashtags for today. It's a Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group, and it's Friday, and we've reached our debate segment, S versus P, with Patterson sitting in for Price. And, uh, well, this isn't a very good draw for yours, truly. He's undefeated this year. He's got a non-conference win over me. He's thrashed Blake. Yeah, I think Blake needed the week off, or at least uh, the day off today, quite frankly. Last week, you guys debated, uh, will Elias Pettersson sign a short or a long-term contract extension? Jeff, you beat him 65 to 35% on Twitter, and then just absolutely throttled him 41-13 on YouTube. So this is the juggernaut I'm up against here. And of course, brought to you by Layuna 1611, BC's Laborers Union. They have contractors looking for their members to hire today. Check out 1611.ca. Lyuna1611 has your back. Today's question we are asking Have the Canucks closed the gap on the Western Conference playoff teams? Jeff will be arguing yes. I will be arguing no. Mediator Tim Asfar presiding. Two minutes per argument. And of course, those of you who will vote, we ask that you set aside your personal biases, preconceived notions. We're asking you to evaluate arguments, not give us your opinion on the matter. J-Pat, you want to go first? So we'll get your clock up and going here, okay. and then I will be in the rebuttal position. I'm ready. Timmy, let him know when it's good to go. All right. J-Pat, your two minutes starts now. All right, let's be clear about the wording of this debate. Closing the gap does not mean catching or passing other teams in the division or conference. Uh, With that as the baseline, then yeah, the Canucks have done enough to close the gap. With their stars back and primed for another big season, the Canucks went out and insulated those stars with better depth through free agency and in so doing addressed key areas of need by bolstering the blue line and in theory improving their penalty kill. Now, Carson Soucy, Ian Cole, Teddy Bluger, most recently Pia Suter, they're not game breakers in and of themselves, but collectively they can be game changers for a Vancouver team that was a disaster defensively, and so much of that was a porous penalty kill. You know what? For the purposes of this argument, I'm including Philip Hronick in the group of newbies that the Canucks are going to trot out this season since he only played four games after being acquired from Detroit in February. Now, I'm not expecting the Canucks to compete with the Stanley Cup champions in Vegas or with McDavid, Dreisaitl, and that explosive group in Edmonton at the top of the division. Again, this isn't about reeling in the Knights or the Oilers. It's about closing the gap, narrowing the gap. And I think the Canucks did more and better in free agency than either Vegas or Edmonton did this summer. Now, if you look at the next level in the division, Los Angeles, Seattle, Calgary, 
None of them was particularly active on the free agent front, although the Kings did beef up by acquiring Pierre-Luc Dubois. They had to give up assets, though, to get him. And I like the addition of Dubois, and I really like the Kings down the middle. But I do have questions about L.A.'s goaltending with Phoenix Copley and Cam Talbot and David Riddich's insurance there behind the first two. So much of the Canuck equation is going to fall on the shoulder pads of Thatcher Demko. But I'm banking on a healthy and motivated Demko to provide the kind of goaltending that will thrive in a better environment in front of him. And I do think as a result of disciplined and calculated offseason moves by the front office in Vancouver, I say a resounding yeah that the Canucks have done enough to close the gap on the teams ahead of them in the Pacific Division. All right, I bled over the... Very generous there, Mediator Tim. I I hope your generosity cuts both ways. All right, Timmy, let me know when it's my turn here, and we'll see if we can put a chink in the armor here of the champ. All right, yeah, you are good to go, Matt. Well, if he's going to play word games, I will too. And, of course, in the great tradition of Blake Price parsing everything that you put in front of him. The Canucks are closer, ER. They have not closed ED, the gap. Important distinction there. It's a big gap. 12 points, six wins, five teams to leapfrog. It took 95 points to make the Western Conference playoffs last year. 100 in the Pacific. So it's not like they just missed out. may not be the Grand Canyon, it's at least the Fraser Canyon they got to get across. Now, they've added bottom-end roster players. We can ask them to play up the lineup, of course. But here's the one thing that doesn't get said a lot. Bo Horvat's incredible first half last year and what he did on the power play. You're not going to be able to replicate that with Anthony Beauvillier. So even if you're better on penalty kill, and they should be better on penalty kill, are you going to be as potent on the power play with Beauvillier in the bumper instead of Bo? And with no dedicated coach and a committee approach to the man advantage unit. So you can argue all you want about the new guys coming in. Let's remember the one guy who left in Horvat. Now, just to maintain pace, they need Kuzmenko to be a 40-goal scorer. They need Petey to crack 100 points. They need Miller and Hughes to be point-per-game players. And you can argue good health from Thatcher Demko and Ilya Mikheyev and Philip Ronick and even Tanner Pearson. But here's the thing. Other teams had injuries, too. Winnipeg was the last playoff qualifier. Nikolai Ehlers missed half the year. They'd be better with him in the lineup for 82. How about Nashville? Another team you got to jump. They missed their best forward, Philip Forsberg, for 35 games last year. Their best defenseman, Roman Yossi, for 15 games. Look, there's evidence to suggest the Canucks are moving in the right direction and improving slowly, and we sure hope surely. But the key word there is slowly. Still going to take more time to dig out from the calamity of the Benning era and make the Stanley Cup playoffs. Oh, both ran a little long. All right, everybody, there you go. You got your arguments. We invite you to vote either on Twitter and on YouTube. And uh, good luck, Jeff, but uh, not sure he'll need it. Sick Eric's Price from Wall Center, presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Errors and omissions. And Jeff, I regret to report, this is a very full segment today. Oh. Uh-oh. End of the week oh. here. And wow. You get a little sloppy? Oh, I sure did. <laughs> uh, Yerky, who is such an eagle eye and astute ear on these things stickler yeah well i said caps three game winning streak that's what's at hand here potentially in new york it's two in a row right now we went through all the los angeles angels cuts yesterday and did not mention pitcher dominic leone who was claimed by your mariners in the uh house cleaning down in anaheim and in fact he's a Former Seattle Merrill, Mariner Leon began his career with the M's in 2014. We were seeking advisement on which Florida Panthers players made the top 10 lists of, was this NHL look? No, it was Jay Fresh. Oh, hockey. Jay Fresh Hockey. Yeah. But it was both Barkoff as a centerman and Kachuk as a winger. Montour as a defenseman and Bobrovsky as a goalie. Yeah, mm-hmm. these were, the Canucks were one of three teams right. that had a player in each of the positions of, Forward, defense, and goaltending. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you said we're a couple weeks away from the start of the NFL season. It's actually next Thursday. That's and then beyond a week. Well, yesterday was Thursday. Yeah. Week to week. Yeah, but when I said it, we were still technically sure. more than a week. Fair. <laughs> By a few hours, <laughs> you're right, Jeff. <laughs> Patterson going all math teacher on me. And then shout out to our buddy Mike Allen of Rona North Vancouver on West First. It was 1956 when the NHL changed the oh, rule all right. regarding fully serving your two-minute penalty. They began releasing players after a goal was scored, and Mike informs that it was Montreal Canadiens general manager Frank Selke uh, insisted the rule was to punish his flying Frenchmen who were just too good on the power play that you couldn't possibly give them two minutes on each and every minor penalty. Wow. Extensive list. Glad we're through it. (laughs) Time for Jeff's Bodog line of the day. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Who you like what you got? Yeah, Bodog's got hockey futures out here, and we're in the month of September now, training camps and preseason. So it is hockey season. Uh, This one jumped out at me, Matt. They've got David Pasternak's total goals for the season. At 47 and a half, he scored 61 last year. I know the mm-hmm. Bruins have taken a hit down no the No centerman now, yeah. yeah. But that's a big drop. It would 61 be. 61 to 47 and a half, 48. Uh, Who's he going to play with? Have you looked at that? I mean, Mar- Marchand, I would guess, right? Yeah, I would think so. Uh, Pavel Zaka, perhaps. Charlie Coyle maybe get an opportunity. They're not Patrice Bergeron. I get no. that. No. Uh, Pasternak's a terrific talent. Uh, I still think he's going to score a bunch of goals. So uh, he could take a big drop from 61 and still hit the, I'd take the over. Yes. Yeah. I think that's why on your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to subscribe to us and rank wide wherever you get your podcast, follow on social Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And of course, support the community sponsors. You hear us talking about keep it local.